Carpenter's Way. Once you guys get up on your feet, find somebody, tell them good morning. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. Even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life. I won't turn back, I know you are near I will fear no evil 
Good morning, everybody. That's better. You sound a little more woke up, woke up before than you were before. Has it been a beautiful weekend or what? That's a simple yes, it's been a beautiful weekend. There's like six of those during the year here in East Texas. The rest are too cold or too hot. But how beautiful has this been? We are so glad you're here. And I know we got people watching on the Internet. It is a very special morning because we're going to see Addison baptized. Uh, we, yes, please clap. You know, 
When somebody gets baptized, it isn't a solemn occasion. It's an exciting occasion. They are surrendering control of their life to the Lord. Now, let me be clear on this because I don't want anybody misunderstanding. Baptism in water doesn't save you. Scripture, the thief on the cross was not squirted down before the Lord said, you're going to be with me in paradise today. Now, baptism is an outward expression of surrendering control of your life to the Lord. That's what it is, and that's what we've been talking about, isn't it? Addison, when did you come to know the Lord as your Savior? About a year ago, you accepted Christ as your Savior. Yes. Asset, how old are you, Asset? 16. 16? Uh, 16 years old, surrendering control of her life. This is her father, Clay. Clay, how long have you known the Lord? About 13 years. About 13 years. And uh, Clay, how long have you guys been with us at Carpenter's Way? I'd say close to two years. Close to two years. Best preaching you ever heard, huh? Best. You guys. Awesome. <laughs> That's right. Growing. <laughs> anyway, it is an exciting thing. To, uh, to baptize somebody, young person, older person, uh, to have them say, look, I want to do this. And Addison came to us and said, this is time. This is something I want to do. It is of her own fruition, and we're very excited about that. And I, again, want to remind you, this is not for salvation. Having accepted Christ's offer to forgive her of her sin, she wants you to know this. And we talked last week about this, putting a target on her back, because uh, uh, there's, you know, Satan wants to mess us up. And so uh, we prayed together, and uh, we're, we're very excited for this. Uh, this family comes from a, a family of faith uh, back a few generations, uh, serving the Lord full time, and it's an honor to have you here. And It's an honor. Oh, the reason we allow uh, dads to baptize our children, if they're walking with God, first of all, is because he's the first line of defense. God has established the husband as the head of the house, and uh, so he's, he is Addison's first pastor. And one of the things we talked about last week is his responsibility to disciple her and protect her. And so that's why we do that. It's exciting. It binds them together spiritually, walking together as well. So uh, having understood that, uh, if you're ready, why don't you baptize your daughter? All right. Addison, I baptize you, my sister, my daughter, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How cool is that? My sister and my daughter. That's exactly right. It's a weird thing. Spiritually, fam part of the same family of God, have the same dad who, who leads us. Let's pray for Addison now. Lord Jesus, we, we love you, and we're thankful that you love us. Thank you that you call us to yourself, and you ask us to live for you and to, uh, to proclaim your truth to others around us. And Lord, what a unique opportunity for a high school, uh, a high school student to actually go into the schools. We too much politics, arguing about prayer in schools. Lord Jesus, where there are Addisons, there is prayer in school. Where there are young men and women who walk with you on campus, Father, your Holy Spirit is living within them, and the temple of the Holy Spirit goes with them. So I pray, Father, for her as a missionary, that she would reach out to those that are hurting, that she would share with those that need comforting, that she would offer the hope of the gospel to those seeking hope beyond this life. We pray you would protect her from the evil one who would like to mess her up. We pray, Father, for her family, that they would encourage her, uh, and that she would encourage them, and together they would walk with you. And I thank you that we as a church have the privilege of growing up with Addison, that we have the privilege of growing her up and having her impact us. So, Father, as a church family, may we walk closer with you, having surrendered control of our lives to you. Uh, we pray again for your blessings on this family, specifically Addison, and we pray that you would bless her all the days of her life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Well, once again, I'm going to make my way over here. We're glad to have you with us this morning. Thank you for being here. Uh, you have been given a worship guide when you came in. It has lots of activities and uh, uh, information that's important of upcoming events. I want to highlight a couple of these things. Um, one of the things this morning I really want to hit you with is an insert. That's our prayer guide. Um, uh, so please be praying for each other. Uh, I've been in touch with Josh Ferguson. As you know, Allie's pregnant. And uh, she gave birth through C-section on Friday. Very exciting. The baby's healthy, but, uh, but it was a very difficult birthing process for her. And as a result, she's been in ICU for a couple days uh, and needed to sedate her. Today, uh, they expect to uh, take out the breathing tube. And uh, so they're testing her breathing. He wanted me to tell you uh, about that and ask you to pray. But she is doing very, very well and improving. So be, please bring praying. You can imagine a young family coming face-to-face -face with something uh, as scary as that. Uh, um, and uh, she, they're surrounded by family, but she's doing fine. But please keep praying, and we will pray for her this morning as well. But uh, little Levi came into the world on Friday. That would be a boy's name, if you're wondering. In uh, all the conversations we had, I, you know, it's a lot been about Allie, so I, I don't know the size. Probably 15 feet long, 22 pounds. Uh, something like that. So uh, let's be in prayer for them. For those of you who don't know Josh and Allie, uh, Josh grew up at Carpenter's Way, uh, went to Moody Bible Institute, now serves on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as Crew, and uh, we they are one of our missionaries. So uh, please be praying for them. The doctors expect that uh, once they take her off of the breathing tube and everything, things will be just fine. It uh, So uh, just keep them in your prayers. Um, other things in here, we have our Carpenter's Way 101 class coming up, uh, how to become a member. It's a new members class, or uh, how do we do, why do we do what we do here? Uh, that is uh, available for anybody, even if you're not interested in becoming a member. If you want to know why we do what we do, that information is in there, and we'd love to have you join us on Sunday, March 18th. It's in the library. It starts at 9.30 and goes to about 11.45. But this is a great way to meet with the staff and the elders of the church and, and uh, ask questions that you may have as well as learn how we function and all. Uh, of course, that's, a, that's how you become a member, but also if you're just interested, uh, check that out. Uh, also today at 11, right after our service this morning, there's a Guatemala team uh, meeting. If you're interested in going on a mission trip, this mission trip costs about two thousand dollars. There is, uh, you can make, uh, you can raise funds and, and different things like that. If you're interested in going to Guatemala on a short-term mission trip, hang out here. That you're not signing up for the trip. It's about ten minutes. Is that what it said in there? About ten minutes, right in here. Uh, we'll get through the information, and then you'll be able to pray more knowledgeably. You can uh, talk to the Overbees who lead that trip. But uh, that's that's again today at eleven o'clock, right after. Uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, we we we're so glad you're here. Um, and Julie and myself will be here right after the service. We'd love to shake your hand and answer any questions you have about the church. Uh, relationships are actually built in our Bible study groups. We have them going on. Most of them take place on Sunday morning, some before about 8 o'clock, some right after at 11, and then we have some going on during the week. If you're interested in getting into a smaller group, we'd love to have you do that. So come talk to us, and we'll uh, do our best to connect you with other folks. I'm going to ask our us ask our ushers to come forward at this time as we prepare for our offering. Um, the offering goes towards uh, not just our light bills and paying the staff here, but we also support missionaries across the globe. And uh, this is how we do that as a church. Um, and so if you're visiting with us, we ask that you not give. This is for those who attend regularly. Um, if you attend regularly, we want you involved in ministry and body life and all. 
small group Bible studies, also ministry opportunities. There's always ministry opportunities. Take uh, insert in here about some with our children's ministry. Um, giving is a part of that. We thank you for your involvement. Um, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We're thankful that you love us first, even while we were yet sinners, you loved us. Uh, thank you that our sin doesn't keep us from intimacy with you if we will simply surrender. We thank you again for the testimony of Addison this morning that was willing to stand in front of all these people and on the internet and say, my life belongs to the Lord. I've been crucified with Christ and I'm going to live for him. Father, we pray for Allie Ferguson right now as she's, they're testing her breathing to see if they can uh, slow down on, on helping her breathe. And, and uh, Lord, we pray that you would heal her body. Uh, we thank you that they have been able, Father, to uh, take care of what's going on and now, Father, continue the, the healing process. And we pray for Josh as he leads his young family now, little Levi and his wife, that he would be a man of courage and faith. And, and we thank you for his faith and his faithfulness. And we pray you'd bless them even as we pray for them this morning right now. Heal her body, Father. And uh, may the doctors give credit to you because they don't understand how miraculous you've been. But thank you for the good reports as well. If you choose to use science to heal her, thank you for that too. For this morning, Father, for those watching on the Internet and those in this room, draw us to yourself. Help us this morning to make a choice to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. From heaven's throne you came to us and set your heart upon the cross we'll never know the sacrifice you made for all our sin and all our shame you took the nails you took our place and no one else could do what you have done one name one name is higher, one name is stronger than any grave, than any throne, Christ exalted over all. 
Okay, you clap. Don't be afraid. <clears throat> you know, I just uh, wanted you guys to know that they're rushing the stage. They're rushing the stage. Uh, lighten up. Every time they do that, I kind of want to go with them, to be honest with you, but I'd leave you blank. I, uh, I just think it's so amazing. Uh, I grew up, though, hearing how in love with me God was. But one of the things I've learned since reading the scripture is how much he likes us too. I mean, he likes you so much. He created you. He made you with your quirks and your weirdness. Uh, and he's, he's just, I just want you to know he likes you and doesn't just love you. And in that, I, I, I want you to understand that unless you really internalize that, you'll, you'll never get the obedience factor. You'll spend your whole life wrestling with whether or not he's trustworthy, whether or not he can be trusted. Um, another thing that I, I, I'm thinking about right now a lot, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to play into our message this morning, and that is to understand, Lord, how do we get to the point where we understand the next life is at least as important as this life in our value system? How do, we get, how do I get to the point where I value what's going to happen next is at least as much, if not more, than I value what's going to happen in the next 24 hours. Because, boy, that's a struggle, isn't it? I mean, it's always like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. And then we go to work things out on our own, don't we? It's kind of like we live this, this struggling dichotomy. And that is the battle of the flesh, isn't it? It's a battle. So let's pray. Let's ask God to meet with us this morning. We're going to get through a lot of Scripture today. So I'm going to, I'm going to kick in the Yankee preacher because I'm going to read kind of quickly. And uh, you'll be able to follow along on the screen and, and uh, feel free to shout an amen periodically. If you, if you lose control, we'll give you the mic. So let's just, let's just pray. God, we're so, we're, we're so uh, amazed at your love for us. We really are. Uh, we are amazed that you, the God of the universe, would look down here and love us. And, and, and we're kind of accustomed to that concept. But, Father, to think that, that you would watch us still turn our back on you and still chase us, still love us, that's overwhelming. That, that's hard to believe. And once we start to grasp it through the study of Scripture and to see how, it, how consistent you are in your love and your chasing, then we begin to believe that it's true for us as well, and, and that begins to change how we view life. So I ask for that. I ask for that this morning. I ask that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would help us see with spiritual eyes. Help us to see Saul from spiritual eyes. Help us to see the nation of Israel from spiritual eyes. Help us to see you from spiritual eyes. Help us to see the things you ask us to do from spiritual eyes, and in result of that, change us from the inside out. Your Holy Spirit inhabits your children, and we give him free reign to change the way we think. Amen. As you know from our, uh, our study here or elsewhere, God chose Abraham and Sarah to give birth to a nation that he would use to introduce himself to mankind. From that nation, he would actually uh, birth the, the ultimate sacrifice of the world, the Lamb of God, that would take away the sin of anyone who would call on his name. 
Unfortunately, this group of people, this nation that he called out to himself, would never really give themselves their whole hearts to God, even though he chased her like crazy. Uh, if I, I hope you've been with us on our study. I hope you're beginning, your eyes are being opened to just how radical God's chasing is. It, there's nothing like it. None of, us, none of us would chase our kids like he chases us. And if you, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and watch on the internet. Gosh, I want you to go back and watch the whole series on the internet, not because the preaching is good, but because the story in its context is, is just mind-boggling. The Old Testament is not a bunch of random stories about a God who's avenging himself on mankind and punishing sin and killing evil nations. It's about a God who keeps saying, just give me a chance to own you. Just give me a chance. Let me prove myself to you. And he does it over and over again. For thousands of years he does this. All the way back in the garden he starts. And for thousands of years he chases until he eventually says, okay, I've got a different plan. I'm going to make it free. And that's what he does with Jesus on the cross. That's the season we're coming into. Uh, actually, it's not in the worship guide today, but I encourage you to, to start anticipating Easter weekend. Start anticipating that. We're going to have our Good Friday candlelight service here, about a 25-minute service here with candles and, and communion on, on that afternoon. Jesus gave up the ghost, it tells us, gave up his spirit and died around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, so we have it at 3. I know that's inconvenient for some of you who work. Ask for a half hour off. We'll get you back in time. It's really important. It's just, just to reflect. And then on that Sunday morning, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, and, and we're going to work hard. Uh, Nancy Mice has written a great script uh, for that morning at the end. Uh, it answers the question, why does it matter when life sucks? I mean, it really does. Why does the, what does the resurrection have to do with me? And uh, it's such a phenomenal script. Uh, it's carrying over the Christmas one. We'll be back at the diner up here. So I encourage you to plan on being here Easter morning, which is April 1st. You don't need to play practical jokes till the afternoon. Then just go crazy on each other. I've already had people going, so what are you going to do that morning? It's, it's you know, April Fool's Day. Um, <clears throat> nothing. So plan on joining us. Man, we've got to celebrate this, you guys. This is our hope. Our hope is not found in a political movement. Our focus is not found in a revolution. Our focus is not found in liberal politics or conservative politics. It's not found in doctrinal debates. It is found in Jesus Christ. Found in Jesus Christ. Everything else is just religion and offers you nothing. It offers you nothing. Only Jesus Christ offers you hope in life, no matter what you're going through. This nation was chased by God, and we saw last week they're begging him, let me be your king. We don't want you as a king. And God gave him a human king, Saul. And then after giving him the human king in last week's text, God said, look, if you and the king will follow me, I'll still lead you. I mean, it's incredible what we learned last week together, and I heard from a lot of you. But last week we learned together that this God actually said to this nation that rejected him and chose a human king, I'll even accept you with your, with your second wife. I'll even, accept, I'll even accept you if you just walk with me. And he's begging them, and, and, and I think we were all kind of amazed at, last, at that last week. Even now, God is chasing them. And in 1 Samuel chapter 12, what we studied last week, we saw what it looks like to have God chase people. And I, I want to keep saying that because I want you to understand, God doesn't just offer you the opportunity to be his child or to walk with him. He's shaking you going, come on, walk with, just give me a chance to prove myself to you. Give me the chance. Look at 1 Samuel 12, 7 to 16. We saw this last week, lots of scripture this morning, so... Just kind of follow along. Stand here quietly before the Lord as I remind you of all the great things the Lord has done for you and your ancestors, Samuel said. 
when the Israelites were in Egypt and cried out to the Lord. He sent Moses and Aaron to rescue them from Egypt and to bring them into this land you're in. But the people soon forgot about the Lord their God, so he handed them over to Sisera, the commander of Hazor's army, and also to the Philistines and to the king of Moab, who fought against them. Then, after they're being defeated, they cried out to the Lord again and confessed, We have sinned by turning away from the Lord and worship the images of Baal and Ashtoreth. But we will worship you and you alone if you'll rescue us from our enemies. Then the Lord sent Gideon, Badam, Japhetha, and Samuel to save you, and you lived in safety. But when you were afraid of Nahash, the king of Ammon, you came to me and you said that you wanted a king to reign over you, even though the Lord your God is already, was already your king. All right. Here's the king you've chosen. There he is. He's hiding in the luggage. Remember that? That's not what he was doing here, but we're making fun of him. Look, there he is. You got it. And yet, the Lord has grant, asked for him. You asked for him, and the Lord has granted your request. Verse 14. Now, if you fear and worship the Lord and listen to his voice, and if you do not rebel against the Lord's command, then both you and your king will show that you recognize the Lord as your God. But if you rebel against the Lord's commands and refuse to listen to him, then his hand will be as heavy on you as it was upon your ancestors. Now stand here and see the great thing the Lord is about to do. I mean, God's just going, come on. That is, the, that is an amazing text. It's amazing that they have rejected God and his crazy love for them is so clear. Unfortunately, as wonderful as that was, as complete and simple as his invitation, it's not enough for God to offer it. It's not enough. The nation and their new king would have to accept it and submit to him as their ruler and leader. That's lost on the church today. We love to talk about God's love. We aren't good at talking about the response. You've got to respond. It's not enough for God to want to rule you, to lead you. And in today's text, we're going to see the response of this human king to God's offer to lead and rule their lives. Chapter 13, verse 1. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 42 years. Saul selected 3,000 special troops from the army of Israel, and he sent the rest of the men home. He took 2,000 of the chosen men with him to Michmash and the hill country of Bethel. The other thousand went with Saul's son Jonathan to Gibba in the land of Benjamin. Soon after this, Jonathan attacked and defeated a garrison of Philistines in Geba. The news spread quickly among the Philistines, so Saul blew the ram's horn throughout the land, saying, Hebrews, hear this. Rise up in revolt. All Israel heard the news that Saul had destroyed the Philistine garrison at Geba and that the Philistines now hated the Israelites more than ever. So the entire Israelite army was summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines mustered a mighty army of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore, tens of thousands. They camped at Mishmash, east of Beth-Avon. The men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in, and because they were hard-pressed by the enemy, they tried to hide in caves and thickets and rocks and holes and cisterns. Some of them crossed over the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. To be honest with you, Saul was well over his head from the very beginning, and he knew it. He knew it. So much of his decision-making feels like it's overcompensation for a lack of self-confidence, which actually Samuel talks about later. He doesn't have much ability, and he knows it. That's why I made a joke a few minutes ago. Of, remember when, when they're going to choose a king, and God brings the 12 nations together under Samuel, and he says, pick which, pick which of the tribes the king's going to come from, and they pick 
that tribe. And it goes down, and basically, they picked Saul because he was the best-looking and tallest among them. And so they say, that's the decision, and they turn, and they're talking among themselves. Remember what happened? Then they turn back to anoint him with oil, and where was he? Hiding in the luggage. This was a man from the very beginning who knew he was over his head. And his decisions look like that. I know that none of you have ever experienced a leader who overreacts as overcompensation, but this is what that looks like. In his own power and under his own confused mental state of low self-esteem, and yet the desire to be revered and respected, what a weird combination. He puts an army together to take on the Philistines in what will be battle number one of three major battles in which he will take on the Philistines in his 40-some years of monarchy. After a small initial win under his son Jonathan's leadership, very important, the Philistines call up their army and line up against the Hebrews. Outnumbered and outmatched, the Hebrews run and hide. Verse 7. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier. But Samuel didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and these peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Back in Sam, 1 Samuel 10, 8, Samuel had told Saul that he wanted him to go to Gilgal and wait. And they would, when he got there, after seven days, didn't, didn't define exactly when, but after seven days, he would meet with them there and they would offer sacrifices to the Lord. And then the Lord would tell them what he wants them to do about the Philistines. God didn't say you're going to fight and win. He just said, I want you to wait, bring your army there. We'll have for sacrifices together. I will offer them. That was Samuel's job. Stay in your lane. I'll offer sacrifice to the Lord. The Lord will speak to me, and I'll tell you what it is you're supposed to do. But just like the Jews at the base of Mount Sinai, I want to remind you, nothing has changed in the history of man but technology. Do you remember at the base of Mount Sinai when Moses is up there too many days for the Jews? They decide to go ahead and create another God. Our God's too timely. It takes too much time. Probably Moses is dead up on the mountain. Despite the fact that they see fire by day or smoke by day and fire by night and they can hear the thundering of the Lord, they decide that Moses is dead, so let's create a new God. So they take off their earrings and they throw it in the fire and out comes a cow. Remember that? We don't know how it happened, Aaron said. Out came a cow. Same thing's going on here. Samuel doesn't turn up in a timely manner. And, and, and the truth is, there's reason to believe he should panic. His small army is now turning into an even smaller army. Pick up the verses in verse 10. Just as Saul was finishing with the birth offering. Now watch the, the Hebrew language. The Old Testament leads into a lot of emotion here. And I want you to, I'm going I'm to dramatize it because I want you, I, I'm not going to get all dressed up, but I'm going to dramatize it with my voice because I want you to hear what he's saying. It's hilarious. As Saul is finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrives. Saul went out to meet him and welcome him. But Samuel said, what have you done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering for me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would, and the Philistines were at Michmash ready for battle. So I said to myself, Self, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked the Lord for help, and we know the Lord wants us to ask him for help. So I felt compelled because of you and your God, adding that. I felt compelled. Loaded words, right? Well, my fault. I know I'm not supposed to offer sacrifices, but gosh, God wants to be involved in the battle, so, and we're going to fight. And we're losing men, so we might as well offer the sacrifice. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. Okay. God and, uh, God and Samuel high-five each other. Everybody goes home, and it's a good day. Please remember, God didn't say you're going to fight the Philistines. 
In fact, God had promised before that I'll fight for you. You won't have to fight the Philistines. God promised that he can defeat him any way he wants, and we'd seen that, and they had seen that. But Saul's plan was clear. This is how human uh, nations win. We're going to go to war. God never said you were going to go to war necessarily. They might have gone to war, but he was told to wait and wait for the instruction of the Lord, and he doesn't wait. 1 Samuel 13, 13, how foolish, Samuel explains. This could also be translated as you have acted foolishly or you have been a fool. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God that the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Who's that? Little Davy. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Just to be clear, just, uh, and I don't want to say this again, and I'm going to say it over and over this morning in the time we have, but just because God chases you, just because he loves you, just because he offers you an opportunity to serve him, just because he invites you to be part of his family does not mean that you are any of those things. You've got to respond. There's a place for response. You get to choose. You see, God's a gentleman, and he won't ever make you to respond. He extends an invitation and you can accept it or reject it. And I know some of you are going, I thought you were an election guy. You can't resist. That's what the tulip is about. Mind your own business. Nobody knows how that works. I don't know how it works. You don't know how it works. But we do know how one thing is. For God so loved the world, there goes the tulip, that he gave his only begotten son. Enough blood was shed for every man, woman, and child. By the way, John Calvin was not a tulip guy. His followers were. So to be clear, Enough blood was shed for every man, woman, and child who had ever lived. The call has been given to every man, woman, and child who had ever lived. It's up to you to respond. Well, how do I know if I'm part of the elect? Mind your own business and accept him today. You'll find out in eternity if you are or aren't. If you respond, he'll accept you. He said, all who call upon my name will be saved. You're part of his family. But the only reason that's even a discussion is to remind us that God is sovereign. He's in control. And in this story, you're going to see this throughout the Old Testament as we keep going through Samuel, because David's sin's bad too. But I want you to understand that even though we are given free will, it never thwarts God's plan. He gives us lateral movement, just like Jonah, but the truth is, he was going to save Nineveh anyway. He just chose to use an unwilling servant. God's got a plan. We have been invited to join him. I remember David Jeremiah as a kid saying, how would you like to be in heaven one day and your neighbor says why didn't you tell me about jesus and he taught us that he may not teach this still to this day but i remember as a kid hearing him say that we are plan a and god doesn't have plan b i, I just want to make it clear to you god doesn't need a plan a or a plan b his plans are going to happen and it is not dependent upon you you are not necessary for him to fulfill his plan he invites you to join him he invites you to join him and that's better that's better he loves to have his kids around him as he's doing his work come on let's do this thing and that's what he's doing with them. To be clear, God's plan is never thwarted by our free will or Saul's or the nation of Israel's or yours. It's going to happen. But he was given a clear choice on how to respond to God's invitation, and Saul chose to take God lightly. I want to say he took him lightly because I want to remind you that Saul believed in God. Saul worshiped God. Saul believed he should involve God in his wars. He just did it in his own time and in his own way, just like Cain. Verse 15. 
Samuel then left for Gilgal and went on his way, but the rest of the troops went with Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Geba in the land of Benjamin. When Saul counted the men who were still with him, he found that only 600 were left. <laughs> That's not good news. Saul and Jonathan and the troops with him, uh, with them were staying at Geba in the land of Benjamin. The Philistines set up their camp at Michmash. Three raiding parties soon left the camp of the Philistines. One went north toward Orpha in the land of Shul. Another went west to Beth Horon. And the third moved toward the border uh, above the valley of Zibium, near the wilderness. There were no blacksmiths to make things worse. I'm going to add that. There were no blacksmiths in the land of Israel in those days. The Philistines wouldn't allow them for fear that they would make swords and spears for the Hebrews. So whenever the Israelites needed to sharpen their plowshares, picks, axes, sickles, they had to take them to a Philistine blacksmith. The charges were as follows. A quarter of an ounce of silver for sharpening a plowshare or a pick, an eighth of an ounce for sharpening an axe, a sickle, or an ox goad. So on the day of the battle, none of the people of Israel had a sword or spear except for Saul and Jonathan. They had rocks and sticks and really good weaponry like that. Verse 23, the pass at Michmash had, had meanwhile been secured by a contingent of the Philistine army. Now, if you're paying attention to the story, I know what you should be thinking. I would have freaked out too. I would have tried to figure out how to defeat them in the name of the Lord. Saul has only 600 men with no metal weapons and thousands of Philistines with chariots and spears and probably arrows. We understand Saul's actions. That's because we too take God lightly. You see, when you value this life too much, your goal is to live. And when your goal is to live too much, you take the king of eternity lightly. I want to remind you that faith and trust is a choice, and you make it every day. I'm just curious, how many of you, before you sat down today, checked the chair you sat on to make sure it would hold you? How many of you had your kid jump up and down on it just to make sure it wouldn't fall? Well, that wouldn't be nice, I know, but you're not nice people. How many of you didn't shake it or turn it upside down to make sure the legs would work? That's called faith. Your experience tells you that if you're going to sit in a room and listen to somebody or worship, then a chair is something you can trust predominantly. We don't treat God that way. The Jews didn't treat God that way. The biggest problem in Saul's life at this moment was actually not the Philistines. It was how he was responding to a God who gave him clear instructions that he didn't like, didn't fit his worldview. The biggest problem in Saul's life was not the Philistines. It was how he was responding to a God who had given him instructions and told him that I would take care of these things if you'll trust me. If for a moment we take our focus off of what Saul was facing on this earth and place it, place it on the one who chased him that we looked at last week, <coughs> excuse me, we begin to understand why Samuel says he made a foolish choice. Because if we start looking at life in light of eternity and what God has proven himself to be, then life and death is such a short part of our experience. And we will run to the one who holds death and life in his hands. But the problem is we've bought into YOLO. You only live once. It's not true for a child of God. For the child of God, you live twice. And actually, your second time around is even a better time around. It is true that Saul only had 600 men to fight thousands. But that was nothing for God. And he should have known that. 
Because only a few generations before, God took a young guy by the name of Gideon, who was a doubter, and defeated thousands more than he was facing today with 300 men, based purely about, uh, on how they drank water. And that is the point. God wanted every victory to be in the face of impossible odds and against all human reason. So all would know who are watching the power of the Most High. You see, God's goal, and you can walk away if you don't like this, is to glorify Himself and introduce Himself. See, in the church, we've begun to believe that God's goal is to save everybody. That's not His goal. His goal is to glorify Himself, to let the world know that He is the Almighty Sovereign One, so that those who know that they have a need will run to Him. Those who want to, those who don't want to surrender their lives to God, don't have to as is the case here. And they can live their lives this way. I wish I could tell you that the story ends here, but it gets weirder. Chapter 14. One day Jonathan said to, and I'm going to just read this whole chapter. One day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Geba, around the pomegranate tree at Migron. You know where that's at, right? Don't you love how they write? You know, where the pomegranate tree. Oh, I've been there. I've ate a pomegranate. Oh, it's the sweetest pomegranate you'll ever eat. <laughs> Among Saul's men was uh, some weird guy, the priest, who was wearing the ephod, the priestly vest. Ahijah was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahatub, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord who had served at Shiloh. Small world, huh? No one realized that Jonathan, Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Sina. The cliff, was on the, north, uh, the cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, and the one on the south was in front of Geba. Let's go across to the outpost of the, these pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Boy, what it, did he have a different heart than his father. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I am with you completely, whatever you decide. All right, then Jonathan told him, we're going to cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we will stop and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we'll go up, and that will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. When the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes, verse 12. Then the men from the outpost, uh, outpost shouted to Jonathan, Come up here and we'll teach you a lesson. Come on, climb right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. So they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed those uh, who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered over about a half acre. Suddenly, panic broke out, broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts of raid and the raiding parties. And just then, an earthquake struck, and everyone was terrified. Saul's lookouts at Geba of Benjamin saw a strange sight. The vast army of the Philistines began to melt, melt away in every direction. Call the roll and find out who's missing, Saul ordered. And when they checked, they found that Jonathan and his armor bearer were gone. That's two guys. Then Saul shouted, uh, bring the ephod here. Okay, now, Paul's, Saul's going to kick in, okay? So you got Jonathan going, let's go. This is worth dying for, but we'll wait on the Lord. Let's go do this thing. And Saul's kind of going, oh, man, what are we going to do? And they start falling apart. So here's Saul. Bring the ephod. 
for a time. Remember what the ephod was? It's that thing that you saw in Raiders of the Lost Ark where the priest wears it. It's the garb and it's got jewels all over it. It's the prayer shawl. The high priest or the priest would wear that when he's going to pray. We got to pray. For at that time, Ehijah was wearing the ephod in front of the Israelites. But while Saul was talking to the priest, the confusion in the Philistine camp grew louder and louder. So Saul said to the priest, all right, here he goes, bring the ephod, we got to pray. It's getting crazier. I love this. So Saul said to the priest, never mind, let's get going. This guy's nuts. Then Saul and all of his men rushed out to the battle and found the Philistines killing each other. And the priest is somewhere running behind. I gotta pray, I gotta pray. Then Saul and all his men rushed out to battle and found the Philistines killing each other. That was, there was terrible confusion everywhere. Even the Hebrews who had previously gone over to the Philistine army revolted and joined in with Saul. Oh, that's good. So there's a contingent of Jews who actually joined the Philistines so they wouldn't be killed. Now they're Jews again. Quick, grab your yarmulke. There's the ephod. Jonathan and the rest of the Israel joined them. Likewise, verse 22, the men of Israel who were hiding in the hill country of Ephraim joined the chase when they saw the Philistines running away. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle continued to rage even beyond Beth-Avon. Now the men of Israel, verse 24, were pressed to exhaustion that day because Saul had placed them under an oath. Okay, you're about to find out how stupid this man is, how fleshly, how naive. Let a curse fall on anyone who eats before evening. Before I have full revenge on my enemies. So no one ate anything all day, even though they had all found honeycomb on the ground in the forest. They didn't dare touch the honey because they all feared the oath that they had taken. But Jonathan had not heard his father's command, and he dipped the end of his stick into a piece of honeycomb and ate the honey. After he had eaten it, he felt refreshed. But one of his men saw him and said, Your father made the army take a strict oath that anyone who eats food today will be cursed. This is why everyone is weary and faint. My father is an idiot. I just translated that. My father's made trouble for all of us, Jonathan exclaimed. A command that will only hurt us. See how refreshed I am now that I've eaten a little bit of honey? If the men had been allowed to eat freely and the food they found among our enemies, think how many more Philistines we could have killed. Verse 31. They chased and killed the Philistines all day from Michmash to uh, Ajon, growing more and more faint. That evening they rushed for battle plunder and butchered the sheep and the goats, cattle, and calves, but they ate them without draining the blood. Oh, for those of you who are not Hebrew specialists, one of the clear instructions of the, of the covenant is don't eat meat before the dr- blood has been drained. Some are reported to Saul, look, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> the men are sinning against the Lord by eating meat that is still blood in it. That is very wrong, Saul said. Okay, I, I really want this to soak in. Now all of a sudden, he's a legalist. That is very wrong, Saul said. Find a large stone and roll it over here. Then go out among the troops and tell them, bring the cattle, sheep, and goats here to me. Kill them here and drain the blood before you eat them. Do not sin against the Lord by eating meat without, with the blood still in it. So that night all the troops brought their animals and slaughtered them there. Then Samuel built an altar to the Lord. It was the first of the altars he built to the Lord. Then Saul said, let's chase the Philistines all night and plunder them until sunrise. Let's destroy every last one of them. His men replied, we'll do whatever you think is best. But the priest said, let's ask God first. So Saul asked God, should we go after the Philistines? Will you help us defeat them? But God made no reply that day. Then Saul said to the leader, something's wrong. I want all my army commanders to come here. We must find out what sin was committed today. So I'm going to cough here. So basically, you've got Saul who's sinning his rear end off, totally blowing God off, 
And then they go and they pray. Okay, God, now all of a sudden they've got time for the ephod because the Philistines are actually killing themselves. It's just, it's just a nuts scene. And then he goes, okay, somebody in this camp sinned. So let's pray and figure it out. All right. Then Saul said, Jonathan, you and I will stand over here, and all the rest of y'all stand over there. And the people responded to Saul, whatever you think is best. Then Saul prayed, O Lord God of Israel, please show us who is guilty and who is innocent. Then they cast sacred lots, and Jonathan and Saul were chosen as the guilty ones, and the people were declared innocent. Can you imagine what Jonathan was thinking? Oy vey. Then Saul said, now cast lots again and choose between me and Jonathan. And Jonathan was showed to be the guilty one. Tell me what you have done, Saul demanded of Jonathan. Well, I, I tasted a little bit of honey, he admitted. It was only a little bit on the end of a stick. Does that deserve death? Yes, Jonathan, Saul said. You must die. Get this. This is insane. May God strike me and even kill me if you do not die for this. That's called overreacting. But the people broke in and said, Saul... Jonathan has won a big victory, a great victory for Israel. Should he die? Far from it. As surely as the Lord lives, not one hair on his head will be touched. For God helped him do a great deed today. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he was not put to death. Okay. <laughs> then Saul called back the army from chasing the Philistines, and the Philistines returned home. Do you see it? I mean, this guy is purely making choices with his emotions. There's no real thought put into it. And maybe some of his choices make sense to us. But, 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 I mean, starving your warriors is a complete reaction. I mean, it's just a guy going, we will destroy you and none of us are going to sleep until every last one of you are dead. I mean, it's just a ridiculous statement. And then he actually sets laws to follow that. He doesn't seek God first or second or even last. He, seek God, he seeks God only when it fits his feelings. And he even seems strangely distressed to think that people in his camp are treating God the same way he does. This is what chaos of self-worship looks like. This is what that looks like. This is what the chaos of worshiping yourself over God. To be clear, this is what it looks like to make God part of your plan when he wants to be it, but not the whole plan. I want to remind you that as silly as Saul seems here, I want to remind you that Saul still prays. He still wants to worship God, but only when it fits in his schedule and his plan. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar. You see, nothing's changed in 5,000 years, just technology. We still treat him like that. Even in the church, we treat him like that. What's up with Saul swearing to God to kill the, his son, by the way? You know what that reminded me of? A New Testament story, Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that? Remember that story? And you know what's crazy about that story? Both of them die. If you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, these two people sold some land and promised to give all the money to the church. It's the beginning of the church. And they come up, they separate. Peter, uh, I think it's Peter. Peter separates them. They come up to the front of the church, and Peter says to the husband, did you give all the money? He said, yeah, we gave all the money. We didn't have to. And he says, you didn't have to. God didn't even ask for this from you. But you lied to the Holy Spirit, and now we'll carry you out. Boom, he drops dead. And his wife. He didn't even have to make the covenant. You see, sometimes we want to appear so spiritual when we're not, we overcompensate. All God asked Saul to do was trust him. That's all. That's all he asked. I know that's a big deal in the face of real problems in life when you have like 600 army guys and thousands others and your people are leaving left and right. I understand that's panicky. But when you really understand who it is you're dealing with, the king of the universe, the God of gods, the Lord of hosts, the one who can 
not only deliver your people from Egypt, but actually give them great wealth? When that is the one that's on your side and you really know him, you trust him even when it seems ridiculous. So much so that the world goes, why are you trusting in him? He has done weird things. You go, because he's God and I'm not, and I, I'm good with that. But the truth is, we have married, just like them, they have married reason, their own ideas, and how they perceive life with God worship. And you can't bring those two together or you start acting stupid. Do you want to know why pastors have affairs? Because they don't know what to do with their fear and their emptiness and their loneliness. And some lady comes in for counseling and she tells them how awesome he is. And that makes him feel good. If your head is not on right, your heart will lead you. Do you know why some of us in this room have left our, our spouses of 20 years for someone new? Because they give you a feeling. And when your head isn't engaged in the game, you follow your feeling. And we got to stop lying to each other. Nobody drinks unless it offers them something. Nobody commits adultery unless it isn't a rush. People sin because it gives them something. And if this is the, is the organ you use, you're safe. If this is the organ you use, you're going to be doing stupid stuff like Saul all the time. That's why the world is in the shape it's in. I want to remind you of what it says. Romans chapter 1 describes this. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or Lord or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. That's called depravity. It's what happens when you start living stupid. Sin makes you stupid. Let me show you what happens. Claiming to be wise, they instead become utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And then they sell them for half off at Target. And people still call those the gods. You, you want to know how crazy it is? I, I know I've told you this before, but it's in my mind because Annie and I have been talking about it lately. But do you remember... Um, I shared with you a story. I was, I was listening one night to the radio, and there was a conversation between uh, a conservative host and a PETA person. They promised they would have a real conversation. And the PETA, you know, people for the ethical treatment of animals, um, they, the, the person said, so help me understand this. If you saw a baby, a human baby on the right side of the road, and you saw a, a, a cub, you know, a little, little cub on the left lane, and you had to choose which of those to hit, which one would you choose to hit? I mean, I, I just want us all to understand that you still value human life. And her response is, I would hate to have to make that decision. Depravity. Uh, I, there is a uh, liberal magazine this week that just declared like something like the 13 most influential heroine women of our time, all liberals. But what is really weird is two of those. One of those is the head of, of Planned Parenthood, and the other one is the head of Black Lives Matter. And in case you're not clear on the statistics, I think it's like 800 black children are killed every day by abortion in Planned Parenthood across the country. You want to know what's stupid? She didn't pull out a gun and shoot that woman. I mean, if Black Lives Matter and the goal is to, to help black people survive, how about protecting them inside the womb? But that's insanity. That's where we are. Why? Because we refuse to worship God. 
So what does God do? Verse 24, God abandons them to do whatever shameful things their their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth of God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of our eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even women turned against the natural way to have sex instead of indulging in sex with each other. And men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned in lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. And now all of us are going, yeah, that's evil. Watch, though, what else? That's just one symptom of it. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things they should never have done. For instance, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, evil, or envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet... They encourage others to do them as well. Is that not the world we're living in? And I just want you to know it's the world we've always lived in, and Saul is on that flag. Oh, yeah, yeah, we worship. In case you're not clear, the world doesn't mind that you're Christian. They just mind if you're evangelical. They don't care if you follow Christ or go to church. What they don't want you to do is believe that you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. They'll call you a hater. They'll say that you're unkind. In case you're not clear, the culture in which we live today, much like this time back then, says that if a a guy, if a dude decides that he's really a woman in a dude's body, you're not supposed to just be okay with that. You have to endorse that or you're a hater. Let me be clear. That's mental illness. It is. If I want to be a rock, you know, I... I could choose to be a rock, but that's mental illness. I'm not a rock. If one of you stood up and said you were Jesus Christ, we would hug you, tie you up, and take you down to the Burke Center. (laughs) But for whatever reason, the world today is saying you can be whatever you want, you can do whatever you want, and I want to tell you that it's just as stupid when you sit on a high school campus for a graduation ceremony and you tell kids they can be anything they want. That's not true. They can't. There's probably not going to be any girl who's graduating that's going to be an NFL player. Probably not probably not the case probably i'm never going to be president of the united states although i could after this one (laughs) the truth is that you can't be anything you want you've been created for a purpose by a god you either recognize or don't recognize and you either bow the knee to him or you live like saul spending your life trying to prove to everybody that you're as good as you can be just leave me alone it's tragic and it gets worse You see, God offers a sacrifice. He offers mercy. He offers grace. He even chases people, but people get to choose. One more chapter, 1 Samuel 15. One day, Samuel said to Saul, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people, Israel. Now listen to the message from the Lord. Now remember, he hasn't heard anything from the Lord for many, many years. So God's showing up again. This is what the Lord of heaven, and by the way, I forgot to make one more point. I know some of you caught it because you laughed. When God doesn't show up, what does Saul do? Blames everybody else. Isn't that interesting? Does that sound familiar? It was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people, Israel. Now listen to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek. 
for opposing Israel when they came out of Egypt. Now go and, uh, and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. So let me just explain that way back in the day, as the Jews were going through the wilderness, the Amalekites were unusually, they mocked them, they were unusually harsh on them, and even during that time, God said, one day, I'm going to revisit you, and I'm going to, as the king of Israel, we're going to defeat you. That's what this is about. I also want to point out that just because you reject God's will does not mean that he will not use you to accomplish his plan. Take note. Verse 3. Now go and completely destroy the Amalekite nation, men, women, children, babies, sheep, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. Verse 4. So Saul mobilized his army at Telem. There were 200,000 soldiers from Israel and 10,000 men from Judah. Then Saul and his army went to the town of the Amalekites and lay in wait in the valley. Saul sent this warning to the Kenites. Move away from where the Amalekites live, or you will die with them. For you have showed, show, uh, shown si kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites packed up and left. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Hevla all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep, the goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs. Everything, in fact, that appealed to them. Once again, making leadership decisions not based upon God, but what feels good. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Never disappoints, does he? Verse 10. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and he has refused to even obey my command. Samuel was, was so deeply moved that he heard that, he, uh, that when he heard this, he, uh, that he cried out to the Lord all night. A man of God weeps even if you don't like the people you're weeping for. Had the heart of God. I love that. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him. Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a... Who is this idiot? Then he went on to Gilgal. You know what I love? I love, I can tell lately you're reading the scriptures as I'm reading them. I know these stories are long because I don't even have to read it. You gasp. Isn't it crazy? When Samuel finally found him, verse 13, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. Is that insane? Dude, high five. Up top. Come on. It's incredible. Then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear, Samuel demanded. His hearing's now bad. Well, it, it's true that the arm army spared the best of the sheep goats and cattle Saul admitted but but hold on Samuel before you lay lay fire on me hold on but they're going to sacrifice him to the Lord your God not our God not their God your God like I say we've destroyed everything else so you know we're really doing God a favor you know God got a kind of he's small minded I mean he, he just doesn't get it This is, this is, by the way, why am I doing three chapters? Because I want you to see in context. I don't want to debate why children were killed and all that. I want you to see what it looks like when your whole heart doesn't belong to God. This is what it looks like. The Hebrews had already rejected God and replaced him with a man, and now we're looking at a man's response to God. That's what it looks like, rejection. Then Samuel said to, to Saul, stop. Stop it. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. Well, what did he tell you? I mean, this guy doesn't even shut up. 
And Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, now you know why he said he has low self-esteem. And by the way, if you'll just take a breath, all of you are infant psychologists, that's why you like NCIS and Murder, She Wrote, because you're all trying to figure, we're, we love that, because it teaches us about people and the character. You understand that when somebody has such low self-esteem, they tweet, no, sorry, that they have a tendency to overspeak. I know only eight of you laughed and the rest of you are conservatives. It's okay. Take a deep breath. I'm conservative as well, but you got to admit, some of the tweeting is exposing a low self-esteem here. Sorry if you don't think that's the case. Some of you love it, I know. But I want to remind you, the proverb says that even a silent fool is considered wise. This guy can't shut up. Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they're all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush in for plunder and do what was evil in his sight? Samuel isn't laying, I actually think that Samuel isn't laying down vengeance. I think he's shocked. What is wrong with you? This was an easy one. You hate those people. But I did obey the Lord. I did. I mean, I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agab and all, but I destroyed everybody else. Come on, Sam. Reason with God. Then my troops brought out the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder the sacrifice of the Lord your God in Gilgal. Twice, your God, not my God, not our God, but yours. But Samuel replied, and this is where you need to wake up. What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of lambs. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. But because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. You see, men and women, I want you to understand what God is showing me, what God is teaching me right now is that a relationship with God built on trust, full of trusting God, is really what this has always been about. It has not been about worship or religion. Worship grows out of a heart that loves God and has been loved by God. But what we've done, especially in the Bible Belt, in the Western culture, is we have manufactured things that make us feel like we're walking with God in the same way that Saul goes, hey, let's all pray. But when it's convenient, we actually think that doing this makes us right with God or makes us feel like we're right with God while the rest of the week we live like Satan. Not trusting. I realize life is scary. Gosh, it's scary to me. I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and worry. You know that that's my spiritual gift. And I say to him, God, if they would just give more money, I'll never worry again, and then I'll worry about something else. The, the, the truth is, when I'm in the midst of worry or thoughts, I have a choice to make. Do I still believe that God's on the throne and will even work through a bankrupt church, which is not where we're at, but you understand, that's my fear. Is there, is there good God can bring out of what is bad on this earth? Can my life take a left turn that doesn't make logical sense to me and breaks my heart and still be good? I mean, the answer to that is yes, but I don't want him to do that. Of course you don't want him to do that. We screwed it up in the garden, and God says, trust me, come to me. I'm going to take care of this for you. But that doesn't mean you'll be happy all the time. It doesn't even mean you'll understand his plan. It does mean if you trust him, his way will win. Run to him. Trust him. 
Trust is a choice. We come to a place in our life family. We come to a place in our life where we have to stop studying and wondering if God is faithful, and we decide based upon the evidence, the reasonable faith that he is worthy of our trust. Now I'm going to trust him with every part of my being. What will people think? That's not my problem. It's my worry, but it's not my problem. You see, if I've been bought with a price, and I believe that the one who bought me is loving and good, then even though he has set me free to destroy my life or walk with him, to grieve the Spirit or to live by his Spirit, whether, whichever one of those I, I choose, I know he loves me, but one of those ways glorifies him and one of those ways I look like Saul because it's always been about a relationship with God. Always. It was never supposed to be about a religion. In fact, the reason he came, he, he got Abraham and Sarah together to have a son, Isaac, was not so that they could set up a kingdom that would, that would be awesome and everybody could worship that kingdom and wish that they had a religion with God like that. But the reason is, is because he was going to bring a Messiah so we could be his adopted children. It was always about a relationship. It wasn't about winning. It was about trusting. It was about trusting. And he's hard to trust when you don't know him. And Satan has replaced getting to know him with good songs and concerts and daily devotionals and things that just make us kind of Christianese but not really know him. You see the same invitation he made to Saul and to the nation of Israel he makes to you today, child of God. You are his, but will you trust him with your life? Yeah, but I just need a little bit more proof. No. No. You don't deserve more proof. I don't deserve more proof. Look at me, I'm fat. I'm not even close to starving to death. What am I worried about? He's proven himself faithful. And even if I do starve to death, is he less faithful? I mean, is he only trustworthy when things are good? I mean, look at this story, it's insane. God is great. Gives me the chocolate cake. Remember last week? That's how we treat him. Oh, God, you're so good. It's my birthday. Is he good with your cancer diagnosis? I don't like that. Didn't ask if you liked it. I know you don't like it. The question is, do you believe? Do you still believe? Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God and he will forgive generously. Brothers and sisters, run to him in the storm. Don't wait for the storm to end to celebrate what you're going to pretend you think he did. Trust him. But Mark, you don't know what I'm going through. No, I don't. He does. I'm scared. Yes, you are. Have courage. It's different. I've screwed up too much for anybody but God. You can't say that. I'm hurting. I can say it because it's true. Hurting irregardless. This is it. What do you value more? Who do you trust? You get to choose. Let's close in prayer. Help us choose you. We believe. We just need help with our unbelief. Help us 
trust you. I'm going to be quiet for about 30 seconds. And I don't know what it is right now you're struggling trusting him with, but would you just tell him you don't believe? Tell him you don't believe he'll take care of it the way you need him to. Ask him to help your feelings. Ask him to help with your trust. See yourself giving that thing to him. Hear our prayer. In your holy name we pray, amen. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes. Julie and I will be up here. We'd love to introduce you to a Bible study class. Uh, there's a short meeting up here on the left for Guatemala if you're interested in a mission trip. Let's keep the conversation going.